I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Gunnar Lovelace is the founder and co-CEO of Thrive Market, an online retailer that is making healthy living accessible to Americans by providing organic and non-GMO groceries at discounted rates. I recently had the chance to catch up with Gunnar in Thrive Market's headquarters to learn more about his mission to create businesses that promote health and social change. Having grown up poor with a single mom, Gunnar is incredibly sensitive to the challenges many Americans face with food access. And he's also well-versed with how modern capitalism is designed to externalize a lot of the costs that make unhealthy food so cheap. With these two things in mind, Gunnar set out to change how people purchase groceries, cutting out the middlemen to foster more just and sustainable supply chains that can effectively lower the cost of better quality food and products for the consumer. To learn more about how Gunnar hopes to transform the food system by making healthy, organic food affordable and accessible to everyone, listen to this interview. I'm here with Gunnar Lovelace uh, from Thrive Market. Thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Great, great to be here. I'm going to start with a question around technology. Um, I, I think because I look at Thrive Market as a technology company on a mission to change our food system. But um, let's look at the story of technology. Humans have been on this planet for 200,000 years or so, a little over that. Um, and things seem largely okay um, on, a plan on the planet from an ecological standpoint until about 200 years ago. We went, uh, and there's some reasons for that, obviously. Uh, the big one being uh, we went from being 1 billion people on this planet um, for the first 200,000 years to now 7.3 billion and, and increasing. The second big thing is the rise in technology. We went from hand-driven uh, extraction methods to technology-driven or machine-driven extraction methods, which has an impact on all kinds of industries, a big one, for the purpose of our conversation today being the food industry. We turned our, as you know very well, we've turned our farms into factories and uh, we are now uh, at the point where um, in spite of all that growth in technology, we are still struggling to feed um, nearly a billion people around the world. And even in places like America, where we, we seem to be the ones that are better off, a lot of people lack access to the right kinds of foods. Um, the question really is, can technology solve this problem? So I'm going to start at the highest level and a big question. Why do you think technology can be a solution? And, and what are you? how do you think you're helping to do that with Thrive Market? Yeah, so I, I love the preamble because I'm, I'm always talking about population growth and uh, birth of agriculture. So it's, a, it's great to hear you thinking about the same way. I think that you know technology is neither good nor bad inherently. It's all about you know what what's the primary driver and motivation behind the technology. It's like a car or a gun or a money it can be used to do great things and it can be used to be doing terrible things. So I think inherently, uh, you know, we have an incredible capability as a species, and we're you know uniquely creative and able to assemble highly complex systems together. It's one of our uh, truly differentiated capabilities as a species on the planet. And technology is clearly one of those factors. And so, you know, the, the lives that we live and the dreams that we have and the hopes and the fears that we, we have every day are 
often fueled by this you know, highly complex technological society that we've managed to construct for ourselves. So I think that uh, you know, there's a lot of incredible capabilities that come from technology. And I think one of the pieces that we benefit from is you know, being able to leverage direct-to-consumer interactions over the internet is a really, really powerful thing for uh, a lot of different facets. I mean, your community, who you are, what you do, your audience, you just couldn't have done that 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's a really exciting thing about all of this, uh, all of this new capability and ability to communicate at scale direct to consumer over the internet, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a world where people don't trust the political sources and mainstream publishing sources, you know, we find that, you know, media has fragmented massively. And I think that's a tremendous opportunity for challenger brands and challenger businesses. And I, I view you, you're a challenger brand yourself, mm-hmm. just as we are. And so we're, we're, we're leveraging this incredible capability to communicate at scale to talk about really important issues. And it just happens to be that, you know, food is one of those really important issues. It cuts to so many different areas, whether it's health or the economy or the environment or animal welfare. And so uh, as a student of social enterprise and the idea of business as a vehicle for social change, I've spent the, the, the vast majority of my professional life looking for an organizing principle that can bring people together around the common good at scale my whole life. And what's been so gratifying about Thrive Market is it really, I really feel like it is one of those organizing principles that, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, or where you live, like people want to feel good in their bodies. They want the same thing for their children. And that's, that's just a really exciting organizing principle that transcends ideology. And I think technology allows us to be more sophisticated in how we do that. So on the communication side, it's, you know, what do people actually want? How do we make sure that they're getting what they want and what's the user experience that they're going to get? Um, you know, th- that's just the communication piece. And, you know, the entire back end of the business allows us to do really unique things from, you know, from a, you know, member excellence perspective or operations and logistics. So all of these, you know, network databases and interlocking systems allow for a business like ours, which, you know, fundamentally, you know, we're transforming the way people can access healthy food and we're improving supply chains and saving people time and money where they can access, you know, their highest quality organic groceries at wholesale prices delivered to their home for free. And that takes a lot of really complex interlocking systems behind it. So we leverage mm-hmm. all of those tools to make that possible. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're a zero margin business. We don't actually aim to make money on the product sales. We make money on our members feeling like they're saving time and money and enjoying being part of our community. And we make our money because they actually enjoy us and save money and then Mm -hmm. pay us a $60 membership fee. Yeah. No, I love uh, some of the points you point you brought up, of course, because um, I've always been saying in the last few years, we've um, there's an abundance of information, almost excessive information out there and um, ways to access it. And similarly, I think there is um, an abundance of, of food available out there and a lot of people that are offering healthier, interesting products. Um, the challenge we have is um, we need editors. We need people to be able to curate um, those ideas, whether it's in the form of media or in the form of products that we're selling, and offer it offer them in a way that... Um, makes it easy for an end consumer to make an informed choice, um, whether it's 
planting an idea in their mind about what they should think about stuff uh, or what they decide to put um, in their pantries and their refrigerators to feed themselves and their families. So um, the part that, you know, is amazing to watch uh, in terms of your growth is a lot of companies have had similar ideas in terms of being the online natural food market, but um, very few have managed to achieve any success. Um, there were several stops and starts even before Thrive Market came about. What do you think made Thrive Market different? Um, and what has been sort of, um, and may not be one thing, but what made you do this in a way that others, including some pretty big e-commerce players in the past, failed to do when it came to natural foods? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think that any great organization is built on great people. So mm -hmm. that's that's the foundation of anything. So, you know, we've been very intentional in how we even put our initial founding team together. So my other three co-founders, they're just, they're incredible. And we have all such complementary and different skills that we're able to divide and conquer in a very synergistic way. I think, you know, this is a very complicated business. We're talking about shipping thousands of products at very low margins mm -hmm. and it's tremendous supply chain logistical complexities. So the ability to be able to divide and conquer and focus on different aspects of the business and synchronize those efforts in a way that doesn't have a lot of games and power struggles, mm -hmm. that in itself has been just totally transformative. And everybody at that level on, on the founding team just operates at a very, very high level of uh, uh, just integrity and dedication and thoroughness. And um, we challenge ourselves to be better leaders all of the time. Mm -hmm. And I think because we're so committed to that with each other, we've been able to model a culture of excellence and attract people who are very talented, but also good people. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you've, a lot, you've got a lot of really great, talented organizations, but you know, maybe the culture is very cutthroat or competitive. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think that's, that's, that's core. That's been core to our success is that we really view ourselves as a stakeholder driven business. And so our stakeholders are each other, our employees are the brands that we work with, the farmers we work with, our investors, our members, these are all our stakeholders. And at the end of the day, it's relationship marketing. And I think that that really cuts to why we've been so successful is that we've taken a very high touch relationship marketing approach to every mm -hmm. stakeholder that we work with and then leverage that with a very accessible, positive solution oriented uh, brand positioning mm -hmm. as Thrive Market and then coupled that with uh, incredible content marketing capabilities across influencers and publishers like yourself. Mm -hmm. And in uh, terms of, you know, maybe for listeners that, um don't completely understand your model. Um, maybe it would be helpful to to give a brief uh, background in terms of how is it that Thrive Market is able to offer products that you uh, would have to pay a lot more in a in a retail outlet uh, offline, but online you're able to sell that uh, much cheaper. Just uh, how you've managed to cut through the inefficiencies in the supply chain and yeah. go directly to brands. Yeah. So at the end of the day, your your standard grocery supply chain is farmer, manufacturer, distributor, broker, retailer, and then pay to play games in the shelf space. So mm -hmm. a lot of hands, a lot of middlemen in that supply chain. 
And so what we do that's unique is we go as far down the supply chain as we can in every single product and category that we do. We buy directly from the source and we cut out all of the middlemen on the supply chain. And, and then by buying directly, we have our own warehouses and we ship to our members nationally. And so for the first time in history, you're able to get organic groceries at the same price as conventional equivalents because we cut out all of the middlemen on the supply chain. So that's that's really the core. And instead mm-hmm. of making money on the products themselves, we charge a $60 membership, which is kind of like a healthy version of Costco online. Yeah. And then for every paid membership, we give a membership away to a family in need. And that's something that you know is very important to me personally. I grew up very poor with a single mom, saw hard she worked to make healthy choices. And we felt like if you couldn't afford the membership to thrive, we wanted to make sure that you could have access anyway. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, this really is about expanding access. And, and, and that's, we think food is an amazing place for us to have a conversation at scale around that. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. I find that to be one of those um, annoying points about the growth of the natural food space is that um, it seemed to be, it seems to be so focused on the coasts. Um, and I've been waiting for several years for someone to, um, in the e-commerce space to enter and, um, and find an efficient, scalable way to do this so that someone who's sitting in a part of the country that has no Whole Foods within a 50-mile, 100-mile radius can still go online and potentially buy some of the products. Maybe not fresh produce yeah. yet, but at least uh, some of the other products. How important has that been um, to your mission to get food to parts of the country that, that typically would never see these products in a store? I mean... The- you know, we're we're just just to even back up further. We're we're in serious trouble as a species. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we've got, and you know this, I and mean, you talk about this and expose this. I mean, every major ecosystem is on the verge of collapse or collapsing, and studies coming out showing that maybe we have sixty five harvests left on the planet the way we're producing food. So we're we're um, we're we're in serious trouble, and the only way we're going to solve that problem is if we radically shift our supply chains to positive, healthy ones and capitalism today is is largely built on unseen negative externalities and what that means Mm -hmm. is when you buy a product the real cost of that product is not reflected in the price that's paid and that's because the company that makes that product is robbing from the natural environment and or releasing chemicals and toxicity as part of making that product that are not reflected in the price that the consumer pays and that, that's been an incredibly successful phenomenon for capitalism, but we have an absolute responsibility as uh, the new wave of social enterprise that we need to scale businesses that build really positive externalities into their business and then get rewarded by their consumers for those efforts. And so I think you know food has to reach everybody. Mm-hmm. It is a universal thing. It doesn't matter who you are, but people are eating. And there's something about food that causes people to put their daggers down we can get together we're going to break some metaphorical bread and we're going to we're going to nourish ourselves and um and so we have to make sure that we step beyond the the bicoastal phenomenon and what's been so exciting is that you know, almost 50 percent of our members are in the midwest and the south and that doesn't even include texas for example so you know we we have we have been enormously successful so far in penetrating uh, communities that just have never historically been able to access this before. 
And I think, you know, that's definitely made possible by technology via the internet and our distribution capabilities. But that's also because it's just an idea whose time has come. Mm -hmm. And I think in the face of such intense lifestyle disease, you know, we spend $300 billion a year just on diabetes-related illnesses Mm -hmm. as one of several major lifestyle diseases which are driven by the way we eat. And so um, people are sick. And there's nothing like, you know, as I say, you know, necessity is the mother of all invention. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're in a very difficult spot in terms of where we are, our health, and we all have family members that are dealing with lifestyle diseases, with cancer or diabetes or hypertension or whatever it is. And so that type of the realness of that, it's no longer somebody else. We're all facing it in some way mm-hmm. or another, uh, whether it's personally or through a family member. And that just causes us to have a different authentic conversation. It puts life into stark relief. Like, what am I doing and why am I here? And how am I going to take care of myself and my family in a way that's effective? And food is primary to that. Yeah. And, um, and how would you say an ideal customer uses um, their membership at Thrive Market? Uh, no, if you had to, if someone had to come up to you and say, all right, I understand what you're doing here. You have uh, the natural products that I would typically go to my um, local grocer or Whole Foods or wherever. Um, I can now buy it online at wholesale prices. Um, but... I also still need access to fresh produce. So how would you recommend someone does it in a way that's uh, cost efficient, Um, shifting away from a standard American diet to one that is um, incorporating Thrive? Great, great, great question. I think the ultimate solution is that you buy a truly fresh food from a local farmer via a a farmer's market or a CSA, Mm -hmm. and, and you get everything else from us. That's, I think that's like in terms of actual like food supply transformation and human health and keeping money in local economies where we can, like that's the best solution. What we see from consumer data though, is that, you know, uh, one, not everybody has farmer's markets. There's a huge explosion of them, but there's, you know, maybe 10,000 of them nationally now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And two, consumers are increasingly buying from multiple sources. So you know, we know that we have a really unique value proposition in the categories of products we sell. And it's, you know, it's all the non-perishable categories. So it's your baking supplies and Mm -hmm. your superfoods and your supplements and your diapers and your cleaning products and very broad categories. But uh, there is all the perishable stuff that we don't do. And so we recommend that you, you get that from a trusted local source and then you get everything else from us. Yeah. And how do you address the issue of, um, you know, some people may look at e-commerce. And I still think there's a lot of misconception here as e-commerce being worse for the environment because of all the packaging involved and the transportation. Um, how have you, have you, have you looked deeper into that oh, issue? Yeah. I'm sure that's a yeah, question yeah. that comes up. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good one. We're actually, we're about to launch a campaign uh, around going zero. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's some interesting studies coming out around e-commerce that basically actually, it actually shows that you have a lower carbon footprint when you buy online than when you do from a traditional retailer. And that's because when you buy from a traditional retailer, it's going through a lot of people's hands. You don't actually see all of that. Uh, And then you actually drive to the store. Whereas with e-commerce, we're using existing FedEx and UPS trucks that are already driving all Mm -hmm. of the routes so we're, there's very little incrementality in terms of the actual costs of delivering that. There's less packaging because it's touched 
uh, less hands. And then we use 100% post-consumer recycle packaging and offset our carbon with the domestic carbon offset program in Minnesota. So we're we're very, very, and uh, come November 15th, uh, we'll be zero waste from our distribution centers to landfill, meaning mm. no waste will go from our DCs, where we ship from, to landfill. Everything gets recycled. Yeah. Um, and so we're extremely fastidious about it. But to your point, there's a lot of misinformation about it. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that is, you know, top of mind for us. And we're, we're actually, we're actually going to be publishing a whole toolkit for people that helps them for other businesses for help that helps them actually improve their supply chains around these issues. It's, it's an area that we're super passionate about. Yeah. You know, so, um, just, it's surprising how many people have, um, I've talked to about e-commerce and their first response is, um, Oh, but that's, that's all that packaging involved in it. It can be good for you versus just going to your local store um, and, and buying something. And um, that would make sense if the products you're buying from your local store were manufactured in a warehouse behind that local right. store. Um, or from a local farmer that just delivered it. That exactly. Day. So, I mean, I think it's definitely true when it comes to, to fresh produce. Yeah, you should try to buy as close to source. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we live in a world where convenience is still important and, and there is a role for packaged goods, uh, packaged products, um, uh, non-perishables that you, that you want to buy from some trusted brands. And, um, and today the options are, are very few, uh, locally, um, depending on where you live, of course. Um, another thing that stands out in, um, in what I've seen Thrive Market do over the years and continue to do is this, um, I don't know how to put this, a sense of, um, you use transparency to your benefit. Um, when most companies, uh, especially, you know, food companies in the past have, um, they, they use a lot of, um, the halo of, um, healthy and natural to make their products seem better. I think, um, Thrive Market has, and I'll give you, I'll tell you why I believe this is because you don't sell too many products. Firstly. So it seems like there's some sort of, um, you know, back to my earlier point about editing involved, you're curating and editing a certain selection of products. Um, and, and maybe this is, there's some reasoning behind it and hopefully you can get into that. Um, you're not trying to sell everything and be everything for everyone. You're trying to really be selective on the brands you choose. Um, and you put your values pretty upfront in the shopping experience uh, which is unique because typically I think of uh, consumers thinking of shopping as they're looking for the price is a huge factor, um, um, taste, of course, of products and how easy it is to shop. Thrive seems to put values pretty upfront in that um, in the, if you think of pillars for decision making, you suddenly are putting values as a big factor in. Is that something that you thought consumers were looking for? Or is that just what you are about and you felt that that needs to be uh, a bigger factor in decision-making for consumers. Um, so I guess my question is really about how important is values to you and how do you, how important do you think it is for people coming and shopping on Thrive Market? Yeah. So back to your first question around curation, it mm -hmm. is absolutely a, a very deliberate decision. We, you know, we've never set out to add Amazon, Amazon, Amazon has half a billion products on mm -hmm. our catalog. They're incredibly good at what they do. They're a great e-commerce utility. But you just don't know what you're getting. Like you maybe you find one great product, but then it's like listed with a bunch of other products that you just don't know what the quality is. And we think that 
consumers today are overloaded with information. They don't know what to trust, where their sources are, what's the difference between 100 different laundry detergents and why should I care? So when we select the products and the brands and the farmers that we're going to work with, we go for hyper curation because we want our community to know when they're looking at these options that these are the absolute best. And that they, those, the, the values for those are very obvious that, you know, we're the largest retailer of exclusively non-GMO groceries in the country. We sort every product that we do on personal care and beauty care and baby care against the EWJ, EWG toxicity database. Very stringent standards. And every single product that we present to our members has gone through an extre extremely rigorous analysis of what's their supply chain. Can we actually validate the claims that they're making? And if at some point we think that there's questionable practices, even if it's a great brand, we'll take them off. And we have taken high, we've taken best-selling brands off the site because they've made one claim and we found something else. So that's something that we're incredibly uh, deliberate about. And we think that's primary trust. It, you know, in a world where people don't trust, mm -hmm. trust is a very precious commodity. Um, and so related to your second point though, values, that's very much related to that. It's a bedrock of it. I think, you know, in my own personal life, I think uh, living in integrity is incredibly important. I'm an unhappy person uh, when I'm not in integrity. Um, and so uh, I like to deal with life from that perspective. And we think as a brand, there's an incredible opportunity and responsibility to show that business can be a vehicle for social change, that business can be a force for good. Yes, we're going to produce a great return for our investors. We're going to be great partners to our brands, but we have to do more than that. We have to evolve the nature of the way we do business if we're going to survive as a species and pass a healthy world to our children. And so we think that it's the right thing to do, but it's also the smart thing to do. And we, we view the millennial consumer mm -hmm. more as a mindset as opposed to an age group. And so, yes, millennial consumers want price and convenience, but they also want virtues and values. Mm -hmm. And so we know it's the right thing to do. We care about it. We're deeply inspired and invested and we make a lot of mistakes as we, because there's no absolute rights or wrong ways of doing it. This is, this is a very fast moving continuum of exploration. And it's a very dynamic time for our species. The economy is changing tremendously. Technology is disrupting. How do we actually do it in a better way? Can we get rid of all of our plastic, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so we're constantly challenging ourselves and we're really trying to make sure that we maintain a very open, creative attitude to that. But it's primary to the architecture of the brand. Mm -hmm. And if you think of um, the role you're playing, you can, you know, I guess my question is really more around if, it get, if it's getting tougher for you to make those decisions, right? Because you have to draw boundaries somewhere, you know, draw a, land, a line in the sand and say, we will allow this kind of product, we won't allow that. And that's also... Um, constantly evolving as new research comes out about certain ingredients or, or products, right? So I, I I talk about this a lot in terms of what if canola oil is the next processed sugar? Um, what happens to all the companies that use those products? Right. Um, and then the more consumers learn, um, you know, we're in the information age, people now know a lot more, which is why I think natural brand, foods are, are growing in popularity. The more consumers know, the more questions they're going to ask, not just about what is in the product, but where it came from. And then 
there's 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 information available online that'll tell you well this brand that claims to be healthy and sustainable is sourcing x ingredient from this part of the world where the workers are treated in that way as a e-commerce platform as much as you are how how far can you go down then to what extent can you hold your brands accountable where you know, how much, how pure do you try to be versus um, strike a balance? Like, how do you grapple with these kind of issues? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're actually very pure. We, uh, we uh, have incredibly high standards, which means that we have to say no to a lot of stuff. Um, the good news is that this is a huge movement now. And while there's a lot of greenwashing in mm -hmm. the natural product and organic industry, there's a lot of really authentic people that really care about what they're doing and in making their companies incredible and building great supply chains. So I think there's just a lot of conversation around this. I mean, I just, just this morning, I was up at five in the morning working out standards between like 20 different companies on a new regenerative uh, certification process, you know, about how do we go beyond organic to yeah. really build a regenerative agriculture movement. So there's a lot of interest in this and, uh, people are very passionate and excited about it. Um, and you know, yes, there's always dynamic tension. For example, all of our packaging is hundred percent post-consumer recycled, but we still have one poly bag that we use when we ship laundry detergent that we haven't been able to get hundred percent post-consumer. It's, it's the last thing. There's just on the on the plant based packaging side, I haven't been able to find something that doesn't melt in the heat or doesn't cost thirty times more, and I can't, I just can't afford to ship it. So we're getting very, 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 very close. But there are those types of decisions where, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna accept having a poly bag mm -hmm. in my supply chain to make sure the laundry detergent doesn't leak over everything. But it's a, it's a more eco friendly poly bag but still it's still got some virgin plastic in it because i know it's going to take me it's going to take the market another year or two to catch up to the to the supply chain needs at scale on that side the good news is it's converging very very quickly and i think that you know we have uh, both in terms of our partnerships with our brands but also in our partnerships in, with our farmers mm -hmm. in terms of all the product because we do a lot of product development at this yeah. point ourselves we have a very strong thrive market collection brand and, you know, an example of that was, you know, a challenge that we had to solve was around canned beans. Early on, we saw that we were losing money on every sale of canned beans. Canned beans are very heavy and they're very cheap. It's very hard to make, it's hard to even break even shipping canned beans. So we asked ourselves, could we cut canned beans from the site? Mm. And we looked at the data and we said, no, our most valuable customers want to be buying beans from us. Mm. So we had to build a unique form factor to deliver that. And it was a unique BPA-free pouch that actually preserves the freshness, has a lower carbon impact, is lighter, and allows us to break even instead of losing money on beans. Mm -hmm. So that was the type of work, just to give you kind of an example of like where the rubber meets the road. You know, we had to, we, were, we had a problem we had to solve. And we had to build something innovative that mm. actually improved the supply chain, improved the quality of the product, and decreased the carbon impact of the product. But it mm. took us, you know, six months and, and some real money and some time to actually do that. We could have, you know, gone with a more commodity-based approach, yeah. but it just wouldn't it just wouldn't have solved the problem at the quality and the values and the standards that we wanted to deliver. Yeah, that's a good segue into what I was going to go into next is... Um your focus on developing Thrive Market branded products um, in the last, uh, in the recent past. And I, 
until I walked in here into your offices and saw your pop-up store, I had no idea that you did offer like I think 256. Yeah, and 300 um, more in development right now. Wow. And what is, so what drives your decision to develop a product in-house? I'm sure, of course, you're looking at what's selling the, the, the best, um, um, perhaps the options that you have are maybe don't meet the standards you want them to. And I mean, can... so there's a bunch of factors. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the can bean one was like a classic example yeah. of how we approach our own product development on the Thrive Market collection. But, you know, another, another one that's kind of similar to can beans was coffee. You know, as we educated ourselves about supply chain around coffee, you know, it just, it's like near slave labor conditions. You, you know, uh, the average Guatemalan worker has to pick a hundred pounds of coffee just to qualify for a $3 a day salary in the conventional coffee supply chains in Honduras, 40% of pickers during the picking season are children. There's often armed guards that harass people if they're not picking quick enough. I mean, these are just horrendous conditions that are a byproduct, a negative externality of a very acceptable conventional consumer product that we all consume at scale. Mm -hmm. So when we looked at how can we participate in making this better, we found that we couldn't offer the price savings that we needed to give our members and buy it from a third-party brand because the margins were tighter on fair trade coffee. So we had to go direct to a Peruvian source, single origin organic fair trade coffee, where we could pass along really significant savings to our mm -hmm. members, but also pay the workers well. Yeah. And that's an example of where we are, again, we were losing money on a product that we know we knew we needed to offer because there's this really huge problem with near slave labor conditions with conventional farming of coffee, but we couldn't do it even, we couldn't even break even on it. Mm. So these are the types of like analyses that we'll do. And then we think about our supply chains relative to it. You know, for example, we just launched diapers, uh, you know, they're 50% more eco-friendly than conventional, but uh, no, no toxic dyes or chemicals. Um, but you know, just just as absorbable as pampers i think one of the challenges that happens on you know cleaning and personal care and mm -hmm. child care and baby care products is you know great great values but is the efficacy actually there yeah. do, do they actually work um and so those that those are the types of decision makings that we'll think about and again it's it's not like we have incredibly high standards around it mm -hmm. um and our whole strategy around our own thrive market branded collection is is really about improving quality most retailers when they do a private label there it's like a commodity of a commodity it's a lower quality product yeah. at a dramatically lower price and it's just it's just a poor experience and what we do is we actually make a better quality product and we really let our community know what it is that they're part of so that at the end of the day the overarching principle that we want our members to feel like is i can save time and money when i'm part of thrive market but i'm also doing the i'm doing good in the world with every single purchase and i understand how mm -hmm. and you know i mean it's coming directly from uh, a trusted source which i think you're going to need increasingly as this world becomes more fragmented and uh distribution of content and products becomes more fragmented if um, money wasn't an object, like if, in terms of money wasn't a limiting factor, um, if you could, um, if you had access to all the resources in the world today, what would be your perfect model um, for Thrive Market? Um, and just to give you uh, an idea, would you buy farmland? Would you um, 
try to control the supply chain end to end so that you could then implement those standards in every step. Because no matter how much you're trying right now, you're still dependent on other parties and what they do. Yeah. And, and you have to fit within that system yeah. today. Yeah. So if you had all the resources, what would that Thrive Market look like? Yeah. So, you know, we're we're in a really unique position in that we raised a really large round about a year ago. Mm -hmm. And so we we still have, you know, very, very strong balance sheet. So we're in a great position. That we're very, very frugal and very scrappy. You know, my co-founder and I, we both started and sold the businesses that we self-funded. We self-funded Thrive. We're incredibly uh efficiency minded. So um, so the good news for us as a business is we're actually in a really strong position from that perspective. I, I think that just taking a step back further, uh, there's a huge need for farmers to move from conventional farming systems to organic and regenerative, where we build healthy topsoil, we produce higher quality nutrient dense food, we can pay farmers more money because the food's higher quality. Um, this is something that has to be done, and it's actually one of the most scalable, simple ways that we can address climate change and, and, and address the health crises that we face. So I think on that side, you know, we're working with a network of uh, really successful value-aligned companies and wealthy philanthropists to create mechanisms that help farmers migrate from conventional to organic and regenerative. Because that that is, I think, I really believe that that's one of the most important, simple, easy things we can do to pass a healthy world to future generations. Right. That's um that's a good vision to have. Um, in terms of you as an entrepreneur, I know you've had a few businesses before this, um, and um, Tariff Mark is a very different kind of a business compared to what you've done in the past. What makes you wake up every morning and want to fight harder? toward that vision or that mission that you have. Um, what inspires you now every day to do this? Yeah, I mean, you know, we all come into this world, you know, with a different deck of cards. And for whatever the reason was, I, you know, was always concerned about the world and the economy and the environment. I mean, I remember when I was like eight asking my, my dad about, you know, uh, the, the national debt under Reagan. So <laughs> I just like, I've been very concerned about that. I, I, very serious, very serious childhood. Uh, and, uh, I'm actually looking to be less serious in my life in general, but, uh, so I, you know, just inherently I've been very concerned from a very early age. And I, I think, you know, there was a lot of survival trauma early on for me, grew up very poor. And, uh, and so I, you know, I, I saw money as a way to take care of my family and do good in the world. And I think that, you know, money is really just, a, it's just energy. It's a currency exchange. It's not good or bad. It's really what motivates us. And at the end of the day, I think we're just an enormously powerful species. We're just so capable and creative and uniquely positioned to create beauty. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we're very much still ruled by absolute biological survival technology around mm -hmm. survival and fear. And so we, we're in this really, at least those of us that are not dealing with lack of food, to your point, there's a billion of us still on the planet that don't have enough food. But in, in the industrialized nations, the survival of eating is just, it's just not the issue. Mm -hmm. the, the challenge is that, you know, we're, we're being blocked by self-limiting ideas and beliefs that we have about ourselves and insecurities and anxieties. And we have to challenge ourselves to face our fears and to realize our full potential. Because if we don't 
do that at scale, it doesn't matter how many solutions are out there. We're still going to be at war and conflict with with ourselves. Yeah. So you almost need to do this. <laughs> I don't think it's a it's a choice at this point. You're you're working on the the thing that you you probably feel the most passionate about, which makes the the job easier. And of course, now you have employees and other stakeholders involved, uh, and you're answerable to them. Um, I um I don't think I can not ask this question, so I'm going to bring it up. Um, you did mention Amazon a bit earlier. What are your thoughts on the Whole Foods acquisition? It's still pretty early. Everyone has an opinion about it. Um, I know you've said a few things and written a few things about how you think it's only going to help um, what you're doing here and the overall effort to bring um, healthy food to more people. How do you think that plays into your plans for the future? To what extent have they changed after that um, news broke? Um, yeah, w w what is your take on the whole thing? Yeah, I mean... I mean I think I mean, you highlight a lot of it. I think that, you know, I think it's a great thing, actually. It brings more money into the organic industry, which is fabulous. Um, I think that, you know, we're, we never sat, we never set out to out Amazon, Amazon. We have a very curated catalog. Uh, you're getting great prices and great, and great convenience, but you're also getting virtues and values. You're part of a community and an ecosystem that speaks to, an emerging health and wellness consumer in a transparent, direct way that Amazon just can never do. I mean, Amazon sells Roundup and uh, all sorts of genetically engineered food and toxic cleaning products. I mean, that's just their business. They sell everything to everybody. We sell a very curated selection of the highest quality groceries to people who actually really care about that specifically. So that that inherently gives us a very potent advantage to that emerging values-driven consumer who, in the, in, again, in the, ten, in the face of intense political dysfunction, they, they want to vote with their dollars. Mm. And so, you know, yes, we have, to, we have to drive a great price and convenience and great operational excellence because Amazon has set the bar very high, yeah. but we deliver something very differently, which is it's a, it's, you feel good. Like you're part of a movement. You're part of a community. Like you're changing the world when you make a purchase with Thrive Markets. It's literally that simple. The lives mm -hmm. that we touch the impact that we have, it's, it's, it's something we care about deeply and we're invested in. So I think that's, that's the critical differentiator for us. And the beautiful thing for the macro market conditions is uh, consumers are moving towards health and wellness. 80, you look at consumer data, 85% want mm -hmm. organic and they want to know if their foods, you know, uh, got GMOs, they want labeling. And so the consumer is there and it's a trillion dollar market. So we have, we have, you know, I have no doubt that Amazon will be successful in its move to move aggressively into grocery. Like they're, they're going to spend tens of billions of dollars. They already have, um, they're going to make lots of successes in that. But as a business, we only need to have one or 2% of the market mm. and we're a 10 or $20 billion business. And as we get to more scale, we're able to, from our position of thought leadership, make tremendous improvements. So we don't have to be the biggest boy on the block. Yeah. We just have to be large and authentic and trusted so that we can make real change. I mean, you look at Patagonia, like, mm -hmm. you know, you know, approaching a billion dollars in sales, you know, they, they invented the organic cotton industry. They invented making jackets out of recycled plastic bottles and everybody else is copying them now and those mm -hmm. types of things. Like, that's a great thing. Like the, yeah. the, the type of impact that they have on the world is so unprecedented. And the butterfly effect of their business 
and their values is infecting so many other supply chains in such a positive way. And we're, we're the same thing for food. Yeah. And I think sometimes being um, limited in resources um, makes you more creative and Definitely. makes you more uh, true to what you are really as a, as individuals and as a team and as a, as a brand. And, you know, talking about brand, I, I bring this up a lot in my conversations with people is that at the end of the day, when uh, the natural food industry is, uh, you know, continues to grow at the pace that it is growing, when, um, you know, even if you have a best case scenario where the, the price goes down, the products taste amazing, they're available everywhere, you can ship it across the country, hope everyone has access to healthier food. How are people going to compete? And I think, you know, people, that's why people focus on brands so much, but the way I think of brand, I think it's really a reflection of um, of the values of the founders, the values of the culture you build. Um, it's the personality behind that name that you choose to buy from. And I, I we keep coming back to this theme, but in this increasingly crowded, fragmented world that we live in, people want to connect with other people. And when um, people want to know what the soul behind that name Thrive Market is, and when you make that connection, um, people are more forgiving even, even if you do screw up sometimes um, because you do it with transparency and you do it authentically. And sometimes the bigger you get, the tougher that is. Um, and you brought up Patagonia. I would, I typically bring it up in almost every other interview because it's the biggest inspiration for me um, in terms of how they've done things their own way and managed to make a positive impact and continue to grow as a business um, and as you said, to the point where other people copy what they do and still fail at it because you can't be them. <laughs> and uh, that's when you've truly succeeded as a brand is when you're just so you that no one can even, there's no way people can copy you because they can't be you. And um, and that can't be even fake. That can't be designed. That just has to you know, be. And I know I'm just riffing here on that, but uh, what are your thoughts on branding and um, how do you stay authentic as you continue to grow and you have, you know, start with a few employees and then you have hundreds and maybe I mean, have offices I mean, around it, the corner? To, to your point, it, it is something that starts with leadership. And if, if the leaders aren't authentically committed to it, it just doesn't happen. And then any efforts to make claims or do efforts around improving supply chains or being a more positive company, they're going to be seen as BS. Mm -hmm. It's just that simple. Um, you know, so we, we, you know, I agree with everything you said. And I think that, you know, um, there's just this amazing opportunity with challenger brands. We can move fast. We're very creative. We're very nimble and institutional brands. They're just, they're inherently afraid. They more conservative, um, and they face an existential threat. Mm -hmm. I think that the Amazon whole foods deal is actually it's like Blockbuster versus Netflix uh, 2.0, but at a much greater sale, scale. Mm -hmm. And so you have an entire industry that just doesn't understand how to do direct-to-consumer communications at scale, online, in an authentic way. And, uh, and that, I think, you know, you know, just since the acquisition of Whole Foods across the traditional institutional retail and CPG space, more than $100 billion of market cap has been wiped out mm. um, just in the last few months. And that's because investors see that these guys don't understand how to deal with it. And uh, while there's you know been some like 
you know, uh, rumblings about it, I actually think that it's going to move very, very quickly. And I think a lot of these guys, I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of disruption in the retail space very, very quickly over the next five years. Yeah. Uh, consumers are moving very, very fast. And unless big institutional forces get really serious about it, uh, they're going to miss the boat. Yeah. And, you know, the more I learn about business and about the food industry, I realize, um, especially the good food industry, it's all about um, people. And I know you started off by talking about relationship management and that being a really one of the keys to, to your success. Um, it comes down to that. And if you um, and you have to put in time and energy and sometimes that doesn't result in, in quick returns. Um, but the value that you build with those relationships in the long run is what uh, sets you apart from everything else out there. And I think um, um, I love brands and I love companies that are doing that. And I think Thrive Market is undoubtedly one of them. Um, if you are successful at um, this goal you have for the future, I know you, you're driven by making healthy food accessible to more and more people. And um, as as part of that goal, you are now by default, you've almost stumbled upon the supply chains and the inherent inefficiencies and unsustainable and unjust conditions that exist in um, our current farming system. And you have no option but to start to reform that as, as part of your role at Thrive Market. If you continue to grow the rate you're growing, um, what kind of you know world do you want to see or what kind of food system do you hope to see, say, 30 years from now in the year 2050, where you can look back and and um, and you and your co-founders and your team that you've built around you can can be proud of what you've achieved and been part of something bigger. Um, what does that look like? What's your utopia for twenty fifty? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. Uh, I mean, I think you know we're to, to the point of the conversation. You know, we we have an incredible crisis in front of us, and this this technological capability around being able to produce food has transformed our plant our our species, and it's transformed our planet. You know, we spend, you know, 50% of U.S. farmland is focused on agriculture with the vast majority of that on, on fa factory farming of animals and, and beef. So we, we, uh, we have to change the way we produce, distribute, market, and consume food today. And that's, you know, that's everybody has to take responsibility in that. It's not just companies changing their way. It's consumers like we're, we're often like monkeys pressing the pleasure button until we kill ourselves. And we're often overfed and undernourished. And that's a consumer choice. Yes, we're being brainwashed with billions of dollars of CPG advertising. But at the end of the day, you know, if we're going to have a happy, healthy life ourselves and have a happy, healthy life for our children and leave a happy, healthy life for, for future generations with, with a healthy planet, then we've got to take personal responsibility for it. And so I, I, I think that, you know, we're just enormously capable as a species. It's just, it's just, we're so uniquely powerful. And at the same time, we're just so afraid. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's so essential that, you know, we challenge ourselves to, uh, to, to be more courageous and uh, to realize our full potential as a, as a species. And on the food side, you know, we, we know what to do. This is not complicated stuff. Like, you know, people that are in the food movement, they know, we know that if we, you know, don't till the land as much and we don't use, you know, chemical inputs and we build healthy topsoil and we compost effectively, we're drawing down massive amounts of carbon. We're creating better food and we have healthier farmers uh, in the process. So 
Um, I think, you know, in a perfect world, I would see a, you know, incredible movement towards massive distribution of regenerative agriculture um, and really creating mechanisms for funding and supporting that at scale. Um, and it's, it's just such a, you know, when you go to a beautiful garden or beautiful farm, it's just, it's incredible. You see bees and butterflies and the soil is black and there's a, there's a vitality to it. Whereas you, you know, you drive up interstate five in the bread basket of, of the, of the country Mm -hmm. in California, it's, it's almost a desert now. And it's just because we're, we're destroying our soil. And so um, I, I'm really excited about the potential, but we, we have to do it very, very quickly. We have to move towards very scalable, uh, distributed regenerative agriculture systems. Right. Thank you, Gennard. This has been a lot of fun to hang out with you Me at too. the Thrive Market. I really, really appreciate the thoughtfulness of your questions. And it's super exciting to see the success you and your community have had and, and look forward to a, a lifetime of shared purpose. Yeah, and doing great things together. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.